Hey everyone, and welcome to Smarten Up, an education in professional wrestling. I'm one of your hosts, Drew Zalitas. I'm the other one of your hosts, Stefan Claypool. And uh, we're coming to you live, on tape, direct from two different places. <laughs> That's the magic of the internet. Yep. Uh, hey, hey, Stefan. Yeah, uh, Drew? I've been getting... I've, the reviews have started coming in. Good. Uh... They are good. Good. Uh, I just wanted to let you know personally, a uh, my my lady friend Meredith, mm-hmm. uh, she wanted me to let you know she thought you have a very theatrical voice. Oh my! So, uh, well, Meredith, this episode is for you. Hey, watch it! <laughs> I'm sorry, man. I didn't mean watch to it, Casey Kasem. Didn't mean to step with your special lady. She's not my special lady. She's my fucking lady friend. No, no, it's, uh, no, 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 get some good stuff, uh, uh, after listening to the first episode, uh, where we discussed the coming outness of of being a wrestling fan, Mm -hmm. uh, she said, uh, Drew, I want to let you know, I'm very proud of you and happy you told me you're a wrestling fan, and I'm like, thank you? So, again, we, you know, this podcast is already helping in that, that easing of that, you know. Uh, that process it's not an easy thing to tell the people you love about your your lifestyle <laughs> choice they sound like we're about to have a telethon i like it <laughs> yeah this um, is uh this is drew's kids <laughs> yeah love it uh so Stefan, what are we what are we going to talk about today besides uh besides my my uh, romantic life so uh we are uh we are coming down the pike towards wrestlemania season and it got us thinking you know, the WWE calendar really revolves around this major annual event, and it would be worth exploring kind of the history, not of WrestleMania specifically, but of the wrestling supercard, and how yeah. the supercard went from being, uh, you know, kind of the local attraction clash of legends to being a uh, major media event, to being the center of the wrestling calendar. And there's a lot of uh, a lot of intersection in there between the evolution of the wrestling business, the evolution of the global media landscape, and how the, uh, the entire process of running a wrestling promotion actually works in, uh, in 2017. Yeah, uh, I lo- <laughs> whenever you say evolution, I suddenly want to be like... He's a mystery. Yeah. Uh, we, oh, we could throw that I'm in. I'm going to add that uh, drop, yeah. Okay, great. Um, but no, I think you hit on a lot of great points there, and one that uh, I think you emphasized that, that I find really fascinating. You kept saying the sort of centerpiece of the calendar, and that really means, you know, these super cards, whether it's WrestleMania or even just pay-per-views in general as a sort of sub, you know, pretty mm-hmm. great card, uh, as opposed to your sort of weekly shows. Um is that they structure just like mm-hmm. a calendar. It's about structuring time. And, you know, then that ends up structuring storytelling. It structures business uh, decisions. So uh, really these sort of, you know, whether it's like 
tentpole films, right? You know, movie studios want to release films at particular times to sort of uh, build their own calendars around. And, and that's what we've got going on here, except you have the added bonus of, of narrative storytelling. So yes, they are these big spectacles where you can try to bring in a wider audience, but it also then serves as, you know, there aren't traditional seasons, but a sort of season finale type thing where, you know, stories are resolved or at least reach a climax. Uh, and, and there's not always a reset after it, mm-hmm. but it, it's sort of, it's a demarcation line, both for the industry and for the fans watching. Yeah. And, and the way that that has grown over time and, and you, you bring up the, the point about being in the context of narrative storytelling really does kind of lead to, um, you know, it, it's not, as you said, it's not an end, it's a climax. It is a um, something to be built towards. And historically, that might not have always been the case. And I think oh, that yeah. that's one of the, uh, the things to explore in conversation as to how overall changes in the industry have changed the role of the supercard. So uh, yeah. if, uh, if that is our preamble, then I will ring the bell. <laughs> Yeah. And we will begin. Yeah. No, we're getting good at this. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah so uh, I, I suppose, yeah, if we want to start sort of historically, you had alluded to this, um, the idea of the sort of original or earlier versions of, of the Supercard before we get into our sort of, uh, you know, even mass media landscape is, is much more based on this sort of local idea where... Uh, you know, really, and we've discussed this before, you know, when you have a sort of big outside talent coming in or um, a sort of clash between, you know, two people from two different regions, like suddenly coming together. And it was sort of something that got built up and, again, could bring in a, a hopefully wider audience than just the sort of local fans for the local talent. Yeah, in, in the pre- certainly uh, pre-mass media days, but even kind of pre-television days, um, when wrestling was very much a local enterprise, uh, it was not common to see the biggest stars of the day. Uh, If they would come to your town, that would be a big deal. And if you knew in advance that they were coming to your town, there would be build in local papers, local radio, local media to try to drive home the importance of this show above other shows. And the, the sort of canonical uh, example of this in the, the pre, uh, I would say pre-national days in the territory days was when the NWA champion would come to town. Yeah. Uh, and you would set up a clash between uh, he and whoever the local uh, the local bigwig was, <laughs> um, and, and that would be kind of the if you're going to one show this year, this is the show you go to, uh, yeah. sort sort of event, and it would become the anchor for a promotion in terms of gaining exposure and gaining credibility on a larger scale. Yeah, and uh, you know the. As we've discussed before, uh, this this also relates to the again the championship as you mentioned. So, 
it both tied into, built off of, but helped contribute to the sort of prestige of the championship, of the title itself. Uh, you know, oh, if that's the champion, not of the sort of Midwest champion, but the national champion, clearly that means the stakes are higher. There mm-hmm. must naturally be sort of a higher investment. So when that's going to be on the line, uh, you know, it's really going to matter quite a bit. And, uh, The arena may or may not be bigger. The ticket prices may or may not be higher. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you're, you know, these are going to be in the bigger cities. uh, Often, even in in these early NWA, uh, AWA supercards, even back then, these were being held in arenas or stadiums, uh, even like you do today. Yeah, they're not as big. uh, They, you know, they weren't as big as, you know, the uh, Jerry World down in Arlington, (laughs) Texas. But they were some of the bigger venues of the time, right? You're not going to have, you know, it's harder to have these shows in a small gym or even a sort of local auditorium. So you could have these super cards. They could be in, you know, baseball parks or, uh, uh, you know, football arenas or things like that. Um, you know, to, to, again, build that, uh, to accommodate more fans, but to build that spectacle. Uh, and I think that's a word we're going to come back to a lot. Uh, with these super cards is yes, there's big names and there's big, you know, uh, championships and stakes. Uh, but then, you know, and especially once we get to WWE and Vince McMahon, there's also the sense of the larger spectacle. And then it becomes more than just about the wrestling. There's so many other things involved and it wasn't as crazy back then, but there was still this sort of not multimedia, but like multi, forms of entertainment that would take place you could have musicians you could have local acts things like that you know we're gonna bring a whole bunch of things together so bring everybody along yeah there's um i think historically there's not one moment and people will, will fixate on wrestlemania because that's the easiest one but there's not one moment where the big wrestling card uh immediately switched from being a pure wrestling show to a broader entertainment show. There there, uh, is a history of that mix being there. Uh, I think what you saw over time from kind of those earliest days of, well, champions coming to town shows, or, oh, (laughs) Andre's been booked in the territory shows, um, was, and I think this really kind of took, uh, took its deepest roots in the 70s, uh, the rise of sort of cross-promotional or sort of, uh, you know, uh, multi-promotional supercards. And the earliest example of this that I can find that was really big uh, was the Super Bowl of Wrestling. Hmm. <laughs> uh, I, you couldn't call it that now. <laughs> no. Not with, not with the NFL's uh, litigation. No. no. Uh, the big the game. The big game. The big, <laughs> big game, game of wrestling. wrestling. Yeah, the big game of wrestling. That's... Yeah, so the big game of wrestling. Um, <laughs> we don't want to get sued. Yes. NFL listening in. <laughs> uh, yeah, Roger Goodell's spies listening in on this one. Um <laughs> The big game of wrestling held in Cleveland. Uh, we're going in the... I guess this is the time when we, we step into the Wayback Machine, Drew. I call it a Wayback. We just set it, turn it on, open the door, and there we are. Or were, really. Where, where are we going? Where are we going? Anyway, we're, yeah, we're going back to... To Cleveland? 1972, <laughs> Cleveland, Ohio. Oh, Mr. Steve Cleveland! Is that- like, like 
of it's like we have a time machine. We could go anywhere at any time, and we're going to Cleveland in the seventies. Yep, the height guess, of civilization. Oh, we have we have just lost that state in our yep. demographic. Ohio's oh, off the board. Yep. I'm sorry, guys. I love you. I'm sorry for your football season. Oh, I am not. I sorry. am. I'm not oh, sorry no. for how the World Series turned out this year, though. Um, All right, fair enough. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, Super Bowl of Wrestling, 1972, Cleveland, oh, Ohio. Wow. And um, kind of an interesting uh, interesting setup. Three rings side by side by side. So it, it really huh. does become sort of a, a three-ring circus in a very Absolutely. literal sense. Yeah. Uh, no reliable estimate on attendance. Some people say 20,000, some people say 5,000. But if you look down the card, it's actually a pretty interesting card for 1972. Uh, Ernie Ladd versus Abdullah the Butcher. That, oh, wow. that would be uh, a match that you could put on any card anywhere as sort of a headliner. Um, uh, NWA United States champion Bobo Brazil uh, in action <laughs> against yeah. Killer Tim Brooks. And uh, the fabulous Mula actually defending her championship. Was this um, in the middle of her like five thousand day reign or something? Yeah, her Ugh. her never ended. It it still wow. has not ended this reign of Mula's. Let's let's that's that's for another episode. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know the I think when you look at this, you see sort of some regional champions, some NWA champions. Um, I'd say Ernie Ladd versus Abdullah the Butcher is is easily the uh, the highlight of that show. Um, but if we skip ahead to the 1978 Super Bowl of Wrestling, uh, this right. is where you start to see the uh, the super card mentality really mm-hmm. come into focus. Uh, Twelve thousand fans at the Orange Bowl in Miami, headlined by yeah. a unification match between the WWF champion Superstar Billy Graham and the NWA champion Harley Race. Uh, shockingly, ending in a sixty-minute time limit draw <laughs> where no title changed hands. Oh, jeez. Yeah, I mean that. But again, this is especially this sort of second version of the nineteen seventy-eight Super Bowl uh, of wrestling. The big game almost got caught. Yeah, almost got caught. Um, yeah, like this one is really hitting on a lot of those uh, sort of markers that we talked about in early supercards. In that, first off, you're at the Miami Orange Bowl, so you're at this sort of football stadium, right? Uh, so already we're mm-hmm. kind of in a different venue. Uh, and then, as you say, it's it's headlined by a unification match. So you know, this is not just local champion versus sort of national headliner this is two national representatives of sort of massive large at the time promotions in the nwa and the wwwf worldwide wrestling federation um and so that's super you know again building that super card of of higher stakes uh and and also this idea that oh these these things can interact Mm -hmm. these inner these groups can interact with each other because as we've discussed briefly in the past, you had this regional system and the NWA is the sort of unifier of all those. But that doesn't mean that they cover everything. Uh, World WWWF was still more in the Northeast uh, and things like that. You had sort of cer- certain promotions that were still holdouts from the NWA. So uh, it's a big deal when those things start 
interacting with each I, other. I think that's an interesting point, and it, it brings to mind something that I hadn't really made a connection on. Um, if you look at really kind of the the period of wrestling history where the WWF and WCW were in competition. One of the things you always heard is, well, what are the dream matches that you could have if mm-hmm. these promotions would cross over? And and for business reasons, they did not. They did not cross over. Uh, but prior to that, the dream match was possible. And once yeah. WCW was absorbed into WWF, the dream match was possible. There was just this weird, like, 15-year huh. aberration where the dream match was a thing, and now the only nah. thing that keeps us from the dream match is is time. I mean, I'm sorry, but Harley Race probably is not going to be stepping <laughs> into the ring against uh, against John Cena next week. Yeah, uh, yeah, you could call it the <clears throat> American Dream Match because oh, Dusty Rhodes was around. All right, I had to bring it in there. And uh, Dusty Rhodes on this card, uh, exactly in, uh, defeating Ken Patera, uh, the there Briscoe yeah. brothers in action against Ivan Koloff and Mr. Saito. Uh, oh gosh, yeah, yeah. Mr. Saito. Uh Chavo <laughs> Guerrero, senior in action. Uh Rocky oh, Johnson wow. in action. Ivan Putz. I mean, this and is- that's big. Like those are guys uh you know, this isn't just like your Midwest and your South and your East Coast. Those guys those are guys on the West Coast, right? Like yeah. Chavo Guerrero is mostly big in California, uh, uh and and Texas and that and the sort of mm-hmm. southwest region. And you're even getting them involved. And so as you said, you know, you would never have these sort of matches in the sort of once we get into the eighties and nineties, uh, with WWF and WCW sort of act, because there was a higher just sort of sense of competition. Whereas maybe at this time there was a sense like, yeah, we're all just trying to do well here. So let's sort of pool our resources. They weren't sort of direct competition. And, you know, part of the reason for that is this is before you've got, you know, where they are sort of direct competitors on television every week, right? Then you do need to say, you know, we need to be doing better than them. But at this point, Again, and this is sort of the reasoning behind the National Wrestling Alliance in the first place. You know, let's work together. You know, let's pool our resources. And the Supercard is sort of a culmination of those efforts. The uh, the parallel event to the big game of wrestling that would have really embodied <laughs> the Supercard during this period of time was uh, the showdown at Shea, which was primarily Ooh. a worldwide wrestling federation event. You'd occasionally see someone else pulled in there. Uh, this is, as much as anything, uh, the WWE's precursor to WrestleMania, insofar as it was a big supercard at an outdoor event sh- or venue, Shea Stadium, uh, in New York, in this instance. And probably the most famous of these would have been the 1976 edition uh, where you had uh, Andre the Giant defeating Chuck Wepner, uh, Bruno San Martino defeating Stan Hansen, and of course Antonio Inoki and Muhammad Ali fighting to a draw. Oh yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, this is you know, uh, of course, more people probably are aware of Muhammad Ali's later interactions with with professional mm-hmm. wrestling and the WWE, uh, like with WrestleMania. But yeah, uh, this is where you start getting, as we mentioned not just, all right, we're trying to bring in a variety of wrestling fans, but let's try to bring in boxing fans and other fighting fans, right? Uh, So we're going to have Chuck Wepner. We're going to have Muhammad Ali show up. Uh, We're even going to get 
uh, Enoki, a sort of international star, right? Enoki mm-hmm. was sort of the biggest name in J- Japanese wrestling. Uh, and they had super, like, let's not, let's be clear, like, we're mostly telling a, a, a U.S. story here. There are examples of sort of international supercards, not as many, but if you think about uh, in Japan when you brought over people like Ric Flair and things like that uh, for those matches. Uh, but, yeah, I think this is a great example of that sort of like, wait a minute, what if it's not just wrestlers? <laughs> what if we can bring in other people famous in other arenas of of sort of culture and sport and, and see if we can draw in fans that way? And it's good for the performers too, right? Like at this point, Muhammad Ali, uh, I don't know. I, I'm not as familiar with him. Is Was he mostly done boxing at this point? Uh, since or? it would have been 76. He I think he may... ends up going back to yeah, boxing. Yeah, he, he may but... have been at this point. Let me see, I'm trying to figure out where yeah. this falls in his timeline. Uh, Rumble in the Jungle was 74. Uh, mm. Thrilla in Manila was 75. Uh, so at this point, he may have still been a champion. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, yeah. He, he was he was certainly towards the tail end of his right. career. The the great Ali triumphs that everyone knows about were were in the past at that point. But he was not the uh, the kind of shell of himself that he was uh, in in the early '80s when he was up against you know Larry Holmes and certainly certainly yeah. before his health had really taken a, a decline. Right, right, and I mean, and and again, this is. As much as that was, you know, big for wrestling, uh, it was big for Muhammad Ali. Again, like this was a guy who was larger than life. uh, And I think as he even said himself, he was too big for just the boxing ring. Uh, And so one of those places that you could go if you were a sports star, but maybe your health wasn't as good or you couldn't sort of you could get a payday from doing wrestling events, uh, which is very similar to what you've been doing. And you and you come with a bit of credibility uh, because of your sort of legitimate. And I use that, you know, in quotes, uh, sport background. Uh, this is yeah. the part of the wrestling podcast where we talk about <laughs> boxing's legitimacy. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I don't know. There's, I'm sure there's a boxing podcast out there that's mm-hmm. like our mirror. But yep. uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, you're yeah, you're going to start seeing more of those, and that becomes a sort of staple uh, at future WrestleManias, at other at WCW uh, super shows uh, of bringing in uh, celebrities or uh, unconventional, uh, let's say, fighters. Uh, into the ring. So what what is additionally unique about the Inoki Ali fight uh, is uh, it was one of the earlier wrestling events. It may have even been the first to have been shown on closed circuit television. Um, it was actually uh, shown to the stadium crowd via closed circuit from Tokyo. The fight itself was in Tokyo. Um, oh, yeah. Wow. And closed-circuit television is sort of a, a precursor to pay-per-view. Starts to point yes. the way for how this converges into changes in media going into the 80s. Um, I think there is one uh, one more precursor to WrestleMania that we do need to touch I, on as we're making that are transition. We gonna, are we talking about Starcade? We are talking about Starcade. A flare for the gold. <laughs> That's the, the flare for the gold the was first, 83. Yeah. The, that's the first uh, Starcade. Uh, 
love that subtitle. Oh my god. Uh, obviously, it was being built around Ric Flair, but yeah. So this is Starcade, uh, and again, uh, because WWE sort of won the battle with WCW, Jim Crockett, all that stuff, um, and they and not just won, but bought out the library. They've sort of been able to craft their own narrative. <laughs> And mm-hmm. their narrative, despite talking about the legacy of Starcade and stuff, always talks about how WrestleMania sort of started the modern sort of pay-per-view super show uh, for professional wrestling. But, you know, Starcade was there uh, a couple years before. Um, and it's very easy, you know, if, if you're only getting the sort of WWF, uh, WWE version of the story to, uh, to forget that. Yeah, and and this is, I think, an important event for a couple of reasons. Um, uh, maybe, maybe three reasons. One, again, closed-circuit broadcast, so again, this is yep. becoming more common. Uh, two, it's a hell of a card. Uh, <laughs> Abdullah the Butcher versus Carlos Colon. Uh, you've got, uh, oh my god, who was it that was under the mask as Charlie Brown? Jimmy Valiant. Uh, Jimmy Valiant mm-hmm. against the great Kabuki. Uh, for the NWA Television Championship, Roddy Piper and Greg Valentine in a dog collar. <laughs> dog match. collar, yeah, dog uh, collar match. Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood against Jerry and Jack Briscoe, and then the the main event, Ric Flair versus Harley Race in a steel cage. And I this mean, is why it was a significant show because that was the build. Oh yeah, I mean, again, as the subtitle said, right the the this was really <laughs> at this point Harley Race is is basically legendary all at this point and or at least you know approaching that sort of legend status uh, as champion and Ric Flair you know was be- getting big he was getting you know championships and traveling around the world but this solidified it it was all about building Flair to sort of take the mantle from Harley Race and kind of you know carry the torch of of the nwa and and professional wrestling overall into the next you know uh pure time period yeah, yeah we, we've talked in our, our championship episode we talked a bit about you know, the importance of champion as standard bearer in promotion and this is and we can think of a few more examples but this is one of the iconic examples of the formal handoff but of that uh, that standard bearer legacy from Race, who I think at this point was a seven-time champion, and he was 40, and he was starting to wear yeah. down. And I think he, he wrestled for another seven or eight years, but never at, a, yeah. at the level he had been. And this was Flair's coming out party. Uh, truly was. And the, I, I remember in terms of defining Flair, this, this is uh, two details that really sort of informed his, his career going forward. Uh, first, Flair bled in this match, as only Flair can bleed. Uh, second, this was, I believe, the match. Ric Flair had a move that he did in almost every match, every big match, where he was whipped into a corner, kind of whipped over the turnbuckle, ran across <laughs> the outside of the ring, jumped up <laughs> in the other turnbuckle, and tried to cross body into someone. And in every match he ever wrestled, he was countered doing that, yeah. except this one. He won the <laughs> championship on that one, and then for the next thirty years of his career, it was a series of callbacks. 
Yeah. Uh, Ric Flair is not anything if not a sort of uh, legacy act in terms of like, <laughs> like if you go see, uh, I don't know, like the Allman Brothers play uh, a concert, <laughs> you're going to be like, just play what we want, right? Like, yeah. No, no like, stuff. Play, Taking care just, of business. Just, just play you know, play Jessica and then we'll be, we'll be, and we'll be good. Yeah. Uh, that's all we want, uh, from you, Allman brothers. And I mean, not to put down, have you been to an Allman brothers concert brothers. recently? I haven't, but now I kind of want to, um, <laughs> I'm thinking about it. Actually, I'll tell you, this is a side note. Uh, I live here in Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, they just announced brought fest. Our headliners are, Day one, George Clinton. Oh my god. Day two, day two, Everclear. Oh. <laughs> <So> <laughs> they are from across the, the spectrum. Yeah. Uh I I am not I have not been informed if Parliament Funkadelic will be attending, but one would uh, one would assume. I can't imagine uh, it's gonna be George Clinton going acoustic with his uh <laughs> with his old homo body. We're getting we're getting off topic, but uh I saw it's I'll, I'll connect it because this was in the Charlotte airport, which is near where Starcade was. There we go. Uh, nice. I, I saw George. I, I ran into George Clinton in a men's bathroom and I remember coming out and I was like, dad, George Clinton's in there. And he goes, are you sure? And I'm like, he's not like inconspicuous. <laughs> it's, it's obviously George Clinton or a very convincing George Clinton cosplayer. Like this is, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. He's not the kind of guy that you typically mistake for someone else. Right. He's not a celebrity who's concerned about being noticed. He's <laughs> yeah. basically wearing a Technicolor dream coat. Anywho, what well, we were talking about Technicolor dream coat. George Clinton, shockingly, to my knowledge, has never appeared on a supercard. Oh my but god! I know he was an NBA Jam though. So ah, there you uh, go. But anyway, Starcade. Starcade. <laughs> uh, uh featuring the George Clinton of wrestling, Ric Flair. Uh yeah, this this really again, you got the cage match. Uh and and Ric Flair, like there was a bit of hot shotting the title back and forth before this match. Uh Ric Flair had been champion already, but like this goes to show like it's gotta stick. And yeah. we had t- discussed this in the championship episode. There are times when someone can get the title and it seems to hurt the title more than help the person wearing it. And, you know, you need and one of the things you need to do is to have a build, a good feud uh, and then just a really solid match to cap it off. And it helped to have the supercard feel there. Uh, And at the end of this, it also built towards the next big one, uh, because then you had that also began the legendary Ric Flair, Dusty Rhodes uh, feud sort of right after this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ric Flair becomes the standard bearer and then Dusty Rhodes becomes the sort of big kind of all-American challenger. And they have a sort of legendary rivalry that went forever uh, that Dusty hilariously would never uh, let go into his passing, even in uh, – supposedly shoot interviews or things like that he would always just be like ah rick flair i hate that guy uh, even though <laughs> keep you know, alive, keep it alive. good friends like i i love that so yeah i mean starcade was not just about an individual i guess what i'm saying is starcade was not just about hey let's just have a great big show with a bunch of big stuff 
they were also concerned about, hey, let's always make this the big thing. So Starcade was also important for saying, like, this is annually how we're going to build our our shows and our feuds. So, hey, uh, these two, like, you know, Ric Flair wins, but we're already going to start sort of hinting that the next Starcade is going to be him and Dusty Rhodes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, that that's something that, again, ends up uh, taking on a lot of meaning for once the WWF and future WWE sort of pick that up. So we're about um, a little more than half an hour in, into what is usually an hour-long podcast, and I think that that's the right place to be to start talking about WrestleMania. And I yeah. don't think that, I mean, we probably don't need to go through all 32, soon-to-be 33 WrestleManias, but I think we can talk about the idea of of what WrestleMania is and how it came to be and the the trickle-down effect that that then had on the way wrestling cards and wrestling promotions in the U.S. were structured as media grew. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, this is 1985... Uh, again, as W, uh, Madison square garden. So, you know, one of the most famous venues in the world, according uh, to Vince McMahon, the most famous. Exactly. And again, all of this, we could always have the asterisks of like, according to the WWF story. And it's not to say that they're lying, but it's wrestling. They exaggerate. They like to blow this <laughs> up. So like, you know, there's a lot of story that like Vince McMahon put like every like all the money he had into this and like if it failed the whole his whole venture would go under we don't know if that's really true that seems a little over the top uh that seems a little dramatic uh i mean if vince went all in on all of his investments like he wouldn't have made it past the xfl uh let's be be very like on the other hand maybe that shows how committed vince really was to the xfl (laughs) That's true. Uh, we do not hate he, uh, I suppose. That is a deep cut reference. We don't talk- hate he. That's hate the title he. of the episode. Yeah. There we go. Um, but yeah, so you've got pulling out all the stops, uh, bringing in pretty much – It's this is like, you know – and I honestly, the part of this story I do believe is Vince McMahon picking up his phone and calling anyone he has contacts with. Mm-hmm. So like, let's get Muhammad Ali back. Let's get like we're, we got this Cindy Lauper rock and wrestling going on. So let's get her involved. We got Mr. T is really big, and him and Hulk Hogan are making connections. Let's throw them in a match together. Um, what Liberace? Liberace? <laughs> like everyone loves Liberace. Let's get him involved. Um, I don't know how he got Liberace's number, but uh, there there is a a bit of like pulling out all the stops and specifically outside of wrestling. And I think that's one of the big things that sort of starts setting it apart. Uh, yeah, you know, like you had mentioned with uh, the the showdown at Shea, we had some outside, but they were still fighters, mm-hmm. right? Like Muhammad Ali was a sports icon. Yeah, but here. We've got like Mr. T, like not really. I mean, he's he's B. A. Baracus, but uh, <laughs> or you know. So we're really starting to get the sort of uh, more wide stream or mainstream wide uh, wide net uh, approach to the types of entertainment we're going to be having. Let's, it's you know, it's not just wrestling; it's entertainment. 
You had with this card, you, I mean, it really is a stacked card if you, if you look up and down. And it's, you know, uh, Ricky Steamboat is oh. on the card, Tito Santana, King Kong Bundy, uh, Junkyard Dog and Greg Valentine, Andre the Giant, Big John Studd. I mean, it, it is a, a genuinely, uh, genuinely a super card. But what I think is is interesting at this point is um, you had this as a closed circuit television event. And over the course of the next couple years, you would see the shift not just from closed circuit to pay-per-view, but also as Vince McMahon's broader media empire grew. The shift from the WrestleMania as a big event to WrestleMania as the climax of the year. And with the first WrestleMania, you had some build to the feud between Hogan and Piper and Mr. T and Paul Orndorff. And with WrestleMania 2, I, I guess you had a build to something. Um, <laughs> we don't need uh, to talk about, talk about it. Of course, we are uh, we are 40 minutes into the recording okay, and you're okay, becoming okay, a robot. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Weird, weird. All right, I'll come back, I'll come back. Yeah. I, I, I have no idea why that happens. I can use it to be super weird. Yeah, maybe maybe next time okay. out we'll try like uh, something. Yeah, it make we're talking. On my end. Yeah, let's 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 give you give you a second just to normalize. So talk just a little bit more, and I'll make a mark. All right, all right, yeah, yeah. Um, so now, yeah, well, now you sound human again. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. I am Wrestlebot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that has to be a gimmick somewhere. I, uh, yeah, we'll fit Russell. Maybe when we make predictions about the future, we're like, hey, WrestleBot, what's going to happen in the future? Cena wins. Now I'm imagining Russ. Now, when I put it that way, I, I'm imagining us in a buddy 80s comedy where we built WrestleBot. Oh, yeah. We're yeah. like, WrestleBot, what are you doing? Like, that's the women's locker room. It's like, we, we you know, he's just him. getting us. We build him to go on the circuit for us, and we are his managers. Like, I, I'll I'll be behind the scenes, kind of handling the money, and you be his hype man. Oh my god, I love this! And the whole thing is, you know, he's a great wrestler, but we have to keep the secret that he's actually a wrestler. No bot, one can know though, he's a robot, even even though it's obvious. Yeah, and that's why he doesn't cut promos and stuff. But they have to believe. It's all like that, it's us it's trying to like inside yeah. the wrestlebot suit and you know that's that's kayfabe uh now we're we're almost into just real steel that movie oh, God. but uh but we're taking this much but this is much more of a comedy uh in the 80s uh animal house uh weird science realm mm-hmm. As opposed to the sort of father trying to like win his son's love. Yeah, I haven't yeah. seen the film, but I, I don't know. Uh, what were we talking about? We were WrestleMania? talking about WrestleMania and, and starting to. Yes. I think we were, we were going to chart uh, kind of how WrestleMania became the big calendar event. Yeah. Uh, do, do you want to talk about WrestleMania three or? I mean, that's yeah. Yeah, I mean WrestleMania three is. Uh, again, like the biggest one, right? Uh, at least as the they most say, iconic of them. 
Yeah, and they'll cl- they claim the sort of attendance record uh, at the time uh, of over ninety three thousand. I think that number keeps uh, going up. Oh yeah, it's like it's, George Washington it, getting an extra st- uh, a star as a general when Eisenhower becomes a five star. Ah, right. Wrestle- WrestleMania three had one hundred and twenty thousand people attending yeah. it. So this is in uh, the the Silver Dome, uh, and it was Hulk Hogan, Andre the Giant. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. the two sort of biggest icons of the era in the sort of 80s boom uh, and the two biggest faces, really. Yeah. Uh, and so it was a sort of big deal to be like, OK, where can we go from here? Sort of they had built Hogan so much at this point, And this is a whole other topic that we won't get into that. There, you couldn't build a villain for him, really. It wouldn't work for the biggest show ever. So the only thing you could do was turn your biggest sort of uh, your other biggest uh, name, Andre the Giant, sort of villainous to to give a new person for Hulk Hogan to conquer, uh, ignoring the fact that they had fought before. Uh, they would not let you know that. No, but really. they actually. That they fought at Shea. They fought at like, Shea, yeah, they fought at one of the Shea cards. events. Right, so it's this isn't even the first supercard they fought on. But uh, for this continuity, uh, it is. like There was an infinite crisis situation. Yeah, yeah. That, there was the, the great reset when Bob Backlund you, lost to the WWE Championship. Yeah, that was, that was the crisis on infinite wrestling. Yep. Uh, yeah. Um, I think what's what's significant about this is is really a couple pieces. First of all, enormous card. I mean, every iconic wrestler from this era who could have been in WWF at this time was there. This was the you know the famous Savage Steamboat match. This was uh, Roddy Piper and Adrian Adonis Heart Foundation versus British Bulldogs. Um, you know, th- this was an enormous card. Uh, second, this was this was the pay per view event. This is the one that drove pay-per-view as a core part of wrestling's business model for the next two and a half decades, three decades at this point. Um, Pay-per-view revenue alone was $10.3 million off of this one event to see Hogan Andre. Um, And third, this is the show that kicked off the idea of continuity from pay-per-view to pay-per-view because you had WrestleMania 3, which was Hogan Andre, then that led to the creation of Survivor Series that fall, which was created to be Hogan's team versus Andre's team. And then that led into the continuing Hogan-Andre feud. Andre beats Hogan for the championship. Uh Uh-oh, we have a tournament for WrestleMania 4. Savage wins the tournament and sets up a a partnership with Hogan. That dissolves and leads into WrestleMania 5. And so you start seeing the connective string being drawn from event to event to event. And it's kind of like... You know, watching a uh, a, a serialized uh, TV show, but probably in like the the early to mid two thousands, maybe not so much today in the era of twelve episode orders, where mm. you would have the sort of the main, and I think of Buffy the Vampire Slayer with this, like every <laughs> season of Buffy, you could almost like clockwork say, okay. First episode is kind of a big deal. Third episode is a big deal. Eighth episode <laughs> is a big deal. Twelfth and thirteenth are a big deal. Eighteenth is a big deal. Twenty-first, twenty-second right, yeah. are a big deal. And then you had the connective tissue Filters. in between. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that's what you. No, that's a, yeah. You started to see that no, in the plot. 
Yeah, no, I think that's a really great uh, comparison uh, to draw this out because yes, before then you have like your annual pay-per-view and you would still build to it the sort of whole year, but because these start bringing in a lot of money and two, you start getting more television time and television deals are going up. So suddenly you just have more space to fill. Uh, it's going to be hard to kind of keep those storylines going longer and longer. So then, right, you get these other sort of mini supercards or, uh, you know, pay-per-views to fill the slots in between. So you've got Survivor Series uh, in between three and four. After four, you introduce SummerSlam. So we can sort of continue the, you know, Hogan. The mega powers. Uh, yeah, the mega powers, the, the Hogan Macho Man uh, partnership uh, before the sort of dissolution. So, uh it's really after that, and it takes a couple of years, but yeah, you sort of end up standardizing this, what would eventually become, we've got a pay-per-view every month. Uh, at, the, at the beginning, it was really, it was quarterly. Mm-hmm. So you could sort of, you, you could build stories, even if they were built around a whole year, like they still were, you would have these markers in between, uh, like the Andre Hogan Survivor Series teams. But then once, then you got to keep going. So... Anyway, the point I'm making, though, is, yeah, you get this sort of standardized schedule of monthly pay-per-views, uh, and, and that ends up, from a narrative perspective, it starts sort of condensing stories, right? Uh, if you uh-huh. need to have a blow-off to a feud or at least a sort of big match, uh, you know, you need to sort of, uh, you got to give people a reason to tune in. Uh, can, can you and, build it in four weeks? Right. And more importantly, because it's pay-per-view, you know, suddenly television becomes an advertisement for the pay-per-view, right? Uh That's where they're going to be making the money. So television, they don't necessarily have to give you, you know, they want you to tune in, obviously, but really television starts becoming ads and sort of build-ups to the real show, which is at pay-per-view. It's sort of the premium content that's behind the paywall. So you got to like, uh, you know, so then the storytelling really became about how can we build to just that super card? Uh, and not to say that they just didn't care about narratives in between, but it's certainly, you know, that, that becomes the major uh, business model going forward, really late eighties. And then, throughout the nineties and, and definitely until today. Um, you know, the only real shift really comes, I would say when now with the WWE network, because they have now so much more time to fill. There's these weird, you know, pay-per-view now is sort of not working anymore. So that the sort of WWE network fills its role. The Supercard still plays a big role in trying to get people to sign up for the network, mm-hmm. but it becomes not about, can we grab them to pay a lot of money for one event? Can we get them to pay a little bit of money, but make them keep paying it monthly? Uh, and that's why you're, you're seeing now multiple cards per month. And the, the yeah. brand split between Raw and SmackDown contributes to that. NXT being appointment viewing contributes to that. So you can, within a given month, have three climaxes. Yeah. Um and, and it's not to say if this is good or bad. It's just yeah. shifts. Like I think there are advantages and disadvantages to both. Uh, you know, sometimes if you're waiting till pay per views, it can be like, oh, geez, they're really just like treading water here. When like all we want to do is see these people fight. Or at the other end, it's like, wow, like 
I don't have enough investment in this. So it's just a shift in that. And this is an mm-hmm. example of how the supercard both is a product of, but also contributed to the technologies, the media technologies at the time. And pay-per-view is sort of perfect for the supercard because it's about a one-time, you know, pay-per-views are and were expensive. It yeah. was a yeah, like you had to watch with a bunch of people. You're not going to have an individual person paying sixty dollars, you know, for this. I, I know that's what it was most recently, and I think even more for WrestleMania a couple yeah. of years ago before the network. So, uh, you know, it's a completely new way of doing business. But, and that's the question now for WWE is how do we? You know, we're so used to they've been doing this for twenty years, where it's about we've got uh-huh. big cards and we just build to those now. We've got so much time on our hands. And so, you know, I, I, I think it's an interesting time to watch WWE now because they're kind of figuring out how that storytelling works. I, I used to really enjoy, um, and I'm starting to see some of this come back with, with the network now, but I used to really enjoy the periods where you would have an extended stretch between pay-per-views. So like WrestleMania would happen and then you'd have six weeks until backlash or something like that. And I remember um, the one that always sticks in my mind was there was a period. It was 2000 when triple H was the champion and the rock was going to challenge him at backlash, but the rock had to leave to like go film (laughs) his scenes for the mummy returns or something like that. And so you had this period where you were building to the feud, but one half of the feud wasn't there for two weeks. And the way they filled that slot was they handed sort of the top baby face ball to Chris Jericho and just said, go do this for two weeks. And he did. And at the end of the two weeks, The Rock came back and went on his way. But those two weeks were invaluable in establishing the kind of performer that Jericho could be at that top level. And that's the opportunity that you have when you can structure those breaks more effectively and the one that i think of more recently that the network did really well was in the build to wrestlemania last year when you knew the match was triple h and roman reigns but you had the roadblock event and dean ambrose got his title shot and came away looking credible and Mm -hmm. that set him up to actually win the championship later in the year and have the run that he had um so figuring out how to navigate the space between the super cards has, at this point in time, almost become as important as the cards themselves. That's a great point. And I mean, yeah, in terms of providing opportunities for sort of down card talent, uh, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, to look at the evidence, Hulk Hogan, what, headlined the first seven or eight WrestleManias, right? Uh, are, are we counting WrestleMania 9? <laughs> Whoa, okay, good, good point. Good point. The, I mean, he basically headlined. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll say it was, nine. It was still about him, but uh, yeah, like you've got like, and you know, yes, that we, you know, there are conspiracies and all sorts of things about Hogan's backstage politicking and whatever. But it's also this is the biggest card, so that also means we're going to put our most investment in there, and that means we're going to be the least or most risk averse. Right. Yeah. Again, back to the movies. When you're making a tentpole movie, there's a reason a lot of the Marvel films are very similar to each other. We know it works. We're not going to mess with that formula because this is our big money maker, but it's also where we put a lot of money into it. So we've got to like 
it, we got to make sure it pays off. So, you know, we're going to stick with Hogan uh, yeah. at, at all of these pay-per-views. But yeah, if you've got like a roadblock in between or like, yeah, some of these smaller uh, pay-per-views that, you know, don't have as much into it. Yeah. Maybe someone else can go out there and have a, have a fair show. And, you know, that's still a critique that you get today. Uh, like again, we're about to have WrestleMania. It's, it's right around the corner. We Mm -hmm. of course know the matches. We're not going to spoil them for you here. Uh, but like every year, there's critiques of part timers, right? Maybe, maybe we should, uh, maybe we should ask WrestleBot. What he thinks about the, the matches this year. WrestleBot, what, what happens this year? Lol, Roman wins. Bleep, bleep. Oh, man. Oh, WrestleBot. All right. Back back, back in your charging station, WrestleBot. Um, but my, you, is, I'm glad we have a recurring character now. All right. It's, it's, we're going to eventually be like Howard Stern. They're all characters. Um, but yeah, you've got... And you still have this critique today that every WrestleMania... It's all filled with part-timers. You got Lesnar. You got Goldberg. You got Undertaker. Undertaker. You've got all these people uh, who are not there the rest of the year putting in the time, and then they just show up for a couple you know, of months. And we can critique that a lot uh, for narrative reasons or even industrial reasons, right? Mm-hmm. Who are the people putting more of their time and effort on the line? But from the business side, it's a big investment, and yeah. they – They've built on this sort of super card structure and they're still sticking to it. But again, I, I question how that might change moving forward when it all costs the same. Yep. It's not about building to one show that becomes like it's like a pledge drive. It's like, OK, every so often we're going to really push to get subscribers and then it becomes about trying to get them recurring payments right can we make you not just pay ten dollars so you can watch wrestlemania but not cancel as soon as wrestlemania is over uh and that's a much more interesting thing uh i don't think i don't know if they figured out how to do it um they seem happy with their sort of standard network numbers right now i don't Mm -hmm. think there's much growth or even much uh decline but yeah, I, I it's a whole new way of doing things. I guess that's the kind of question we might leave for the end is with something like the network and the reasons we've talked about, is there a place for the supercard anymore? At least in WWE's terms. I think it's different mm-hmm. elsewhere. Uh, again, we're talking US centric, but we also had the beginning of this year, uh, Wrestle Kingdom, Wrestle Kingdom. Uh, 11, which is New Japan Pro Wrestling's uh, sort of mega event in the Tokyo Dome uh, every year on January 4th uh, in the Tokyo Dome. And that's massive uh, for that corp company. And it still works for them because I think it's they're in a sort of different mode. Um, and uh, from what I understand, they did really well this year. Yeah. Uh, bringing in and using Wrestle Kingdom to sort of kick off a more international focus. So they've launched a sort of web portal where even if you're not in Japan, you can watch. And there's now English mm-hmm. commentary. And they've had some of these things for a while, but they made a big push this year. And this was actually a big deal because uh, you had Kenny Omega, yeah. uh, who's, you know, this American. Uh, was in the title match and that had never in the, 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 the main event. And that was a big deal. Uh, 
there are a lot of American wrestlers in New Japan and that they were across the card, but you rarely have them in, in as prominent as a role uh, as Kenny Omega was in uh, going against Okada there. So, you know, it's for them, they, they the super card was useful for them, not so much to like build as a culmination, but to sort of kick off. These are our plans going forward. And after that, they announced they're actually going to have their first two North American dates, uh, or at least, you know, recording a show for New Japan. So, you know, again, I think these things are going to shift. And it's interesting to look at how other people sort of adapt uh, to these models. I think you you have summed up, I think, the thesis of the episode really nicely. And, and that is the super card over time if you look back at it historically, it has been the primary intersection of the, uh, no infringement intended cult, but the art of wrestling as a storytelling enterprise and the business of wrestling. And the two have evolved in parallel. So as the business model has changed from a, live venue driven business model to a pay-per-view business model to a recurring subscription business model the demands of the story being told have changed and the super card really embodies what that is and its changing role reflects how that broader uh industry has moved yeah absolutely i mean so much of this is always going to come back to you know how the narrative you know, interrelates uh, to to bi- changing business practices and changing technologies. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, the Supercard is a great example to see a lot of those things in action. So I think that that is uh, that's a good place to end the formal discussion. So we will yeah ring the bell and uh, we can move into our uh, sort of uh, recommendations slash obscurities section. Yeah, that's that's right. Uh, uh, I might have one. Do you have a uh, uh, wrestling obscura uh, so, fact for us? So it's it's not so much a fact. It, it is more of a recommendation. And I'm, I'm not, I would not call this obscure, but it is joyous for me. Uh, it, this is WrestleMania season. And so I thought I would keep this WrestleMania themed. Uh, anyone who wants to just kind of revel in the silliness of wrestling and the pageantry of wrestlemania and even maybe think about some of these part-timers should go watch uh wrestlemania 17's gimmick battle royal oh yeah a uh an event from uh 2001 where uh on the biggest show of the year uh a little bit of time was carved out for a battle royal of old wrestlers playing grossly outdated characters uh the the iron spoiler the iron sheik won the match i believe largely because he could not physically withstand having been thrown over the top rope oh yeah absolutely i mean it is kind of funny right it's like oh we'll put him in a battle royal and it's like that's actually like not great for old people like it's not easy going over the top rope and falling down like that's one of the harder you know spots to do without hurting yourself these guys have a lot of miles on them yeah yeah uh no Um, that's a great yeah yeah it's it's a lot of fun uh check it out uh bobby the brain heenan and mean gene okerlund on commentary for me come back yeah uh i had a i had a suggestion for uh we can play with it i don't know if it makes it sound too uh uh hard ass but like oh so my my recommendation or 
uh, homework. Since we're, oh an edu- my. I don't know, we're in education. No, and I, I like this. So, I like uh, this. My homework for uh, this week, uh, also sticking with the silliness, I actually thought it's going to be really funny when I reveal what it is because for so long while you were describing yours, I thought we had the same recommendation, oh but we don't. This is sticking with the WrestleMania theme in the most thinnest of ways. Uh, I'm going to recommend. Uh, for your homework, uh, a little film called Russell Madness. Uh, this is not Russellmania, because I'm sure they would have gotten sued. Russell Madness. Uh, it is a film from Airbud Productions. Oh my god. Uh, featuring a Jack Russell Terrier who uh, becomes a wrestler uh, with the help of. Uh, He's trying to like, it's one of those, like this grandpa's like wrestling business is going under and the dog's going to be like a new attraction. There's also a talking monkey uh, voiced by Will Sasso uh, from, <laughs> from Mad TV as his like trainer. He's like a very Mickey from Rocky sense. Uh, and yeah, it's ridiculous as it sounds. Uh, you've got. Uh, Jack Russell Terrier wrestling, but uh, the most important aspect of this, uh, and this probably fits the wrestling obscura uh, feature, is uh, the main uh, villain, or at least the sort of like heel wrestler that our hero Jack Russell Terrier has to fight, is none other uh, than uh, current uh, Lucha Underground champion as of this recording and former WWE superstar John Morrison oh or Johnny god. Mundo oh my god. Uh, in Lucha Underground. Uh, but let stars... me guess, this, this was made between the time he left WWE and the time Lucha Underground got its uh, legs I think, under? I think that's about right. Uh, the oh, film was... John. I mean, the, the film was released in 2015. Uh, I don't know what the production schedule was like, but that seems to line up with sort of Ooh. right before he kind of got back uh, under with uh, with uh, Lucha Underground. But yeah, I mean, because he did try to make a go of it in Hollywood, but this may be, maybe this was the death knell for, for his Hollywood <laughs> I, career. But I can uh, imagine him sitting in his trailer next to a Jack Russell Terrier, looking, looking at it and thinking, you're the star. You're, I'm not the star. You're making a huge assumption that there was a trailer on this movie. So that is, <laughs> Fair enough. Fair that enough. is a huge assumption. In um, the car yeah. that he drove himself to the set. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, but yeah, uh, you know, we we had talked in this episode about, uh, you know, copyright infringement. Uh, and I mm-hmm. would say Russell Madness using its name was trying to avoid that. Uh I'm almost positive, based on nothing but uh, common sense, they originally tried to call it WrestleMania, because that makes much more sense. Uh, but then they probably got a cease and desist, and they're like, Russell Madness, close enough. Uh, but yeah, also, I guess the other obscure fact that's not about wrestling, there's Airbud Productions. Like, there's a whole studio. It's an empire, man. Yeah. Uh, so... Who boy? Uh, I guess yep. if you're a fan of of bad movies and any of those other bad movie podcasts out there, this this could sort of scratch uh, two itches at once. Uh, uh, Russell Madness, uh, check it out if you like talking dogs or talking 
anything. If, if your favorite Look Who's Talking movie was Look Who's Talking Now, you'll love Russell Madness. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if only, if only they could have gotten uh, Danny DeVito, right? Uh, yeah, it, it was Danny DeVito. That's correct. Yeah, if they could have gotten Danny DeVito. Uh, oh, boy. Oh, if only. I mean, he would eventually go on to portray a wrestler in another. Yeah, uh, he he, ha- he has made his indelible mark on wrestling history. As the trash man. I'm the trash man. I'm a villain. <laughs> Shit, must have uh, had an edge. Oh, man. Um, yeah, so go out and do some do some homework. It's fun homework. Uh, and let us know what you think. Uh, we're- <laughs> let us know what you think of Russell Madness. And, and this podcast. And also know, this podcast. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, we're getting a few out there. We're starting to get feedback, and we really appreciate it. So um, you can find us on Facebook at Smarten Up. You can find us on Twitter at Smarten Up Pod. Uh, uh, you can find me personally on Twitter at D Zolidis. That's D-Z-O-L-I-D-E-S. And you can find me on Twitter at Stefan Claypool. That's S-T-E-F-A-N-C-L-A-Y-P-O-O-L. And uh, yeah, I, th- I think that a- as we as we approach WrestleMania Eve, and we all hang out our WrestleMania stockings, we all take our vitamins and say our prayers, and hope that Santa <laughs> with muscles comes down the chimney and gives us the gift of uh, of a uh, sparkling Jericho. six. Yeah, the gift of Jericho. <laughs> Drink it in, man. Uh, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, talk to us. Uh, we're looking forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you think. If you ever, if you have anything you want us to talk about. Yes. Okay. And, and with that, <laughs> bye. So for for Stefan and for Wrestlebot, <laughs> this is Drew <laughs> signing off. We'll see you next time. He has no idea what I'm saying right now. I think he's cooking something. Oh, goodness. I hear sizzling. Oh, God, the sizzling. Oh, and I'm just watching. He's in the back of his apartment. Oh, my God. Oh, this is like paranormal activity. I'm just watching him. Oh, my goodness. If you can hear the beeping, he is now, Stefan is now climbing a chair to, uh, to, to turn off the smoke alarm, which apparently went off from the cooking. All right, he got off the chair okay. I was going to do it much more dramatically, like he was climbing a ladder in a ladder match. So I was hoping to do that discreetly, but then the smoke alarm went off. So you'll you'll have to listen to the record. I'm just narrating what you're doing. It yeah, might be, I, it might be a fun blooper at the end. I'm like, 
oh no, and now he's climbing a chair. I was hoping uh, that my wife was going to be home before the chicken had to come out of the oven. <laughs> that didn't work out. It's uh, uh, not a euphemism. The yes, chicken was, no, that, there was, there was a, a literal chicken in the, chicken in the literal um, oven and the literal smoke alarm went off. Yes, 